Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. It's Thursday, the 18th of May, 2023. I'm pretty sure today is somebody's birthday. If it's your birthday, happy birthday! I'm also fairly certain today is somebody's rebirth day. If so, happy rebirth day. Born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ. These are some of the wonders that God has performed. These are some of the Deeds of God, wonderful deeds of God, too numerous to count. Your birth, your rebirth, creation itself, revelation itself, the the knowledge of the reality that God is and the knowledge of the reality that God is good. Psalm 40, verse 5, our Growing Your Faith verse of the day, says, Oh, Lord, my God. You have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Let's try this morning. Come on, let's give it a go. Want to give it a go? Let's recite the wonderful deeds of God. If you want to participate with me in this, you can... Text me at 877-933-2484. What makes your list of the wonderful deeds of God? Let's try to recite them. I'm going to start with you. You are a wonderful deed of God. God conceived of you before the foundations of the earth. I mean, you were conceived in the imagination and the heart of God long before you were ever conceived in the womb of a woman. But then God did that too. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a wonderful deed of God. And redeemed in Christ Jesus, what a wonderful deed is that? You've been reborn to a living hope. You've been transferred from darkness to light. You've been forgiven. You are redeemed. This is a wonderful deed of God. He has done it, not we ourselves. Why don't you give this a try today? Let's recite the wonderful deeds of God. Creation, revelation, exodus, planting his word in our hearts, writing it, writing it there. Jesus, miracles, wonders. Psalm 40 verse 5 is a great verse to not just remember, but put at the top of a, not just a blank sheet of paper, but probably an empty journal. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. 
If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. (laughs) Friend, let's give it a go. Let's try. Let's recite the wonderful deeds of God. And if you're saying to yourself, I don't know any. I don't know any. God's never answered a prayer. God's never shown up when I needed him. I'm not even sure that God is good. Well, friend, the rest of us are here to testify to the reality that God is great and God is good. The hundred times that you have sucked in a breath and your heart has beat since we started this conversation about whether or not God is good is evidence that God is good. Revelation itself, general revelation in creation, specific revelation in the person of Jesus and in the Bible, the gift of the Holy Spirit, what a wonderful deed is that? Answered prayers, what, what a wonderful deed is that? The promise and the inheritance of heaven, what, what a wonderful deed is that? The gift of family and the gift of a new family in the church, what a wonderful deed is that? The psalmist says again, or echoes the same sentiment in Psalm 77, verses 11 to 15. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work. I will muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is there so great as our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people. What are the mighty deeds of God you need to call to mind today? Remember the wonders of God. Meditate on all his work. Muse on his mighty deeds. And yeah, make a recitation. Make a list. Remind yourself today of who God is and what he has done. He is marvelous. David says God gave us water. Susie says Psalm 103. Uh, Surely is in agreement. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Got a friend uh, struggling today um, as well. Um, Struggling to believe. Struggling to um, go to church. We're praying for you, friend. Another friend says, my list starts this way. Amazing creator of all, creating the human body intricately with love and complexity. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's recite the wonderful deeds of God today. Ben Johnson's going to join us next. We're going to take up some headlines of the day and apply the mind of Christ, because that's what we do here on Mornings with Carmen. Ben Johnson is joining us now. He's the rights writer. He's a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. You can find what Ben is working on at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. All right, add one thing to our one our list of the wonderful deeds of God. Well, I heard water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard air. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's go to the next natural thing, which is sunlight. Uh, the, nice. the source of the source of life uh, and growth throughout the entire. Uh, solar system. Amen. Let there be light. Amen. 
Um, all right. So uh, let's uh, shine a little light now on um, on some of the stories in front of us as a people. What's going on um, with the Department of Education in relationship to school prayer or prayer in school? Well, they have an updated guidance on the issue. Uh, this, of course, uh, the, the U.S. Department of Education always puts out uh, guidance every every so often on the topic uh, to schools, letting them know what they can do, what they can't do, uh, what is okay with the law, and uh, how the law has changed since the last guidance. Uh, this was one of the things that uh, the Clinton administration did right before the 1996 election to put out a, a very positive uh, guidance on uh, on school prayer and send it out to, to let people know what their rights were. Uh, this one tends to emphasize kind of the other side of uh, the issue, uh, saying that teachers, school administrators, and other school employees may not, and this is a quote, encourage uh, or discourage private prayer or other religious activity. So um, it goes on to say that they cannot, quote, compel, coerce, persuade, or encourage students to join uh, in an employee's prayer or other religious activity. So, of course, we know from the Coach Kennedy case that the Supreme Court upheld six to three that employees of schools have the right to exercise their religion. They can bring their faith and express it in a in a public context. Uh, but this is saying that um, they can't do anything that encourages others to join them. Of course, Coach Kennedy was, was kneeling at the 50-yard line, and uh, the other side argued that that was encouraging people to pray along uh, along with him. So uh, it, it seems as though this guidance might tend to blur that line somewhat, make people a little bit more concerned about whether they are com- uh, or, uh, comporting with the law or not. Teachers um, apparently need a lot of guidance. Um, apparently, they're they're not able to all make good decisions on their own. A Florida teacher is under state investigation for showing a Disney movie featuring a gay character um, against the law in Florida, which, uh, which, which has um, particular restrictions on such things. And a middle school uh, teacher in Illinois has now resigned um, after uh, charges were brought against her, a police report filed by the parents of middle school students because this teacher... Um, has been uh, presenting through a book tasting event for her students um, content inappropriate for um, for their age group and in specifically in relationship to sexuality. So we're going to continue our conversation with Ben Johnson here in just a moment. He's going to bring us up to ba- date on not only these stories, but help us understand who who actually is responsible for the education of children. Is it us or is it someone else? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and 
at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Ben Johnson is here with us this morning. You can find what Ben's working on and what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. All right, uh, Ben, brief us in on what's going on in terms of teachers and the need for apparently teachers across the country to get really explicit instruction on what they can and cannot do, particularly when it comes to teaching our children about LGBTQ sexuality. Well, there, there are a couple of uh, cases which are somewhat outstanding here in terms of uh, what's being presented in the classroom. Uh, one of them is in reading material. One of them is in uh, a motion picture. So uh, in Illinois, a uh, middle school teacher had what she calls a book sampling, uh, book tasting, uh, essentially, where uh, she brings in all kinds of different books and people are encouraged to read them. And one of the books that she brought in was a book which is titled, This Book is Gay, uh, this is in Illinois. Uh, this this particular book has a, an extraordinarily explicit section uh, on uh, the mechanics of uh, those particular procedures, also on how to use sex apps. So uh, obviously, a lot of middle school parents, middle school, of course, uh, being as young as 12 years old up through, uh, up through 14, uh, they found that quite concerning when they found out about uh, the material that was being presented to their children, and they brought this forward. Incidentally, she told the Today Show, this quotation just stood out to me. The notion that I was putting children in danger because of books, I didn't feel safe. So the the idea that she was putting other people in in danger didn't make her feel safe, uh, which says a little bit about who education is supposed to be for. Education is supposed to be for the students, and yet she's making it about herself and her feelings in this instance. Uh, in uh, the Tampa Bay area, this is just north of Tampa, uh, in Florida, there is quite explicit instruction on what you can and cannot do, and yet uh, a teacher showed it in the Hillsborough County Public Schools named uh, uh, Jenna uh, ended up showing the movie Strange World, a Disney movie that has a gay character, and that's a, a big part of uh, the movie is his uh, his sexuality. One of the things that she said uh, when she was interviewed by CNN uh, just the other day, she said that people are talking about their rights as parents. She said, and I quote, your rights as a parent, those rights are gone when your child is in the public school system. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't disagree more with that uh, with that view and statement. And by the way, I'm a graduate of the Hillsborough County public school system. Um, Tampa is where I grew up. So um, things have changed a lot uh, in the subsequent years. Um, let's be praying for kids. Let's be praying for parents. And let's be mutually equipping one another to um, to shepherd our children's hearts well uh, in these in these difficult days. Um, I want to pivot with you, Ben, to this story, um, maybe maybe a surprising source of this particular story. CNN um, had a, a feature um, where they were really looking into, quote, what happened to San Francisco. Um, it is uh, it's a pretty 
devastating view of what's going on in San Francisco. And so I'd like for you to tell us, you know, sort of what's covered there. And then what happens when a major city actually fails? Like, I mean, have we experienced that? Are we experiencing it? And what happens if so? Yeah, this is this is a heartbreaking story. Of course, uh, it's been heartbreaking to see the news dribble out a little bit uh, in dribs and drabs over the last several decades out of San Francisco. But uh, in San Francisco, this, uh, as you say, it, it's in, it's a surprising source because it's CNN. Uh, the whole story with Anderson Cooper did a uh, CNN original special on the topic of uh, San Francisco and whether it's a failed city. It's a, it asks what happened to San Francisco. And in that, they cover the homeless epidemic, uh, the the um, soaring crime rate, uh, increase in poverty throughout the city, uh, and the general feeling that if you live there, you're not safe. So uh, that's that is uh, the the overall nexus of the problem. And of course, we've seen the stories. Uh, what happens when a city of that size fails? Uh, and San Francisco undeniably is failing uh, in terms of those metrics. It's a dangerous place. Uh, for example, there was footage, which I believe we talked about last summer or two summers ago, uh, footage of children who were being let out on the sidewalk, and uh, they had to walk through essentially a homeless encampment of people who were using drugs openly, intravenous drugs, uh, with needles on the sidewalk that the children had to walk over, uh, as well as uh, a, a great deal of uh, a homeless increase. Many of those are, are in fact, drug-addicted uh, individuals. So it's, it, and it's, it's, a, and it's not a very safe environment anymore because of the increase in crime, which is not being punished. So it's a failing city in that case. And what happens is it it's uh, really a mirror image of anything that you would want in a positive or successful society. What ends up happening is that the most vulnerable people suffer the most. Those who can simply leave. And you've seen a mass exodus out of San Francisco for those who have the means. Uh, for those who uh, wish to stay there, they end up hiring private security. Uh, or doing other things in that case. But even even uh, you know, the Speaker of the House's husband was victimized by crime in San Francisco. So those who can simply flee the city, and what that leaves are those who are the criminal element. Uh, they increasingly move in because they see that the city doesn't have the resources to keep them out uh, or the willpower. And then those who cannot flee are the ones who are trapped and targeted. Uh, the, they're the law-abiding people who don't have the means to go anywhere else, and they are the ones who are victimized with increased crime, uh, with being targeted at the bus stop, with their children being in failing schools, and they have an even smaller shrunken tax base and fewer places that they can go in a time where they need government resources all the more. Yeah, take note of who's leaving um, and take note of how hard it is for people who want to stay to stay. Um, in addition to San Francisco, we might shine a light on Chicago, where police are actually urging um, business owners to, you know, shell out money to install riot glass. They don't intend to keep people from rioting. They're telling business owners along routes where riots frequently take place to, um, you know, instead, as you say, private hire, hire private security and purchase a special kind of glass shield in order to prevent their uh, their windows from being broken over and over and over again. Um, that's a failed city. Um, that's 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 a failure. So um, we're gonna we will continue to have these conversations and talk about these things. Um, ben, thank you so much for 
helping us see what's happening in the culture and then also, you know, just reminding us that we're God's people. Um, we live under his sovereignty and we are responsible to walk our faith, faith out into the world that he loves, even in uh, the most difficult of days. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. As always, God bless. Likewise. That's Ben Johnson. You can find him at WashingtonStand.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. All right. Uh, we just had a friend uh, text in just a moment ago, um, and I'm, I'm going to read it to you so that you can get a sense of uh, how people are feeling and what's going on out there and, um, and why we have some of the conversations that, um, that we have here on Mornings with Carmen. So um, this friend says, I'm struggling. Um, I realize that my pastor or the elders of my church, those appointed um, in leadership, they haven't invited my family into relationship outside of the church building. It's been almost a year since we moved here and started attending this church. We've plugged in as much as we can. Um, we help with children's ministry. We're in a small group, members of the church. We've joined the church, etc. I read Acts 20 uh, and many other passages of the Bible, and I just don't understand how you can be a careful overseer of your flock if you don't even know who they truly are. Our church homes, I think what uh, is meant here is like the homes that people in our congregations live in, like right, our, our houses, have become temples in a sense where Oh, our church homes, I get that. No, the sanctuaries, okay. Have become temples in a sense where we go on Sundays. We sit and we listen and we leave without ever having the opportunity to even dialogue, to break bread, to really be discipled. I know not everyone wants this, uh, that attend church, but many of us are craving it. I made an appointment to go meet with my pastor. I told him, I, you know, I don't think he's doing anything wrong, um, but I think this is a blind spot that God showed me, and get this, I want you to listen to this, I can't unsee it now. I told him, I felt I needed to tell him this, and we talked for almost an hour and a half, which is great, but still at the end, he did not try to initiate anything with my family. Instead, he told me his door is always open. He told me to initiate the relationships. He suggested other people, um, which made me in turn feel like something was wrong with me. Like, So I'd be lying if I didn't say that it hurt and... Um, and then I, uh, yeah, he, okay, it goes on. Uh, let me just say this. You're not alone. Um, you're not wrong. And you're right. You can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. 100% true. Uh, the book is Once You See. Jeff Christofferson um, has joined us on a prior occasion to, um, to talk about the book Once You See. And he's going to join us not only again today, but hopefully for a series of conversations where we are going to walk around in exactly the concern um, articulated by this sweet friend. Um, and so I get it. I get it. And you're not wrong. And you're not alone. And the body of Christ is supposed to be a body of believers knit together, brothers and sisters in Christ, the household of faith. We are supposed to know one another intimately care for one another deeply, serve with one another as, as, as one man. We're supposed to know what's going on inside one another's homes and hearts and lives. You're not wrong, and you're not alone, and you're totally correct. Once you see, you can't unsee it. Jeff Christofferson will be back with us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Jeff Christofferson is back. Uh, he is the executive director of the Canadian National Baptist Convention, executive director of Church Planting Canada, uh, co-founder of Church Multiplication Institute, and the author of Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It's a novel. I love it. Jeff, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be with you again, Carmen. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what you address in a novel way, in the novel, once you see, um, is is real. You know it's real. You've um, experienced it and witnessed it, and we've had testimony to it just this morning on our text line. Um, you know, a, a listener who has really struggling, like, right, they moved a year ago, they found a church, they attended, they joined, they're engaged in ministry in the church Um, But never at any point have they had any interaction outside of the physical church building um, Mm. with the pastor or anybody else in church leadership. They're just like, you know, nobody even knows who we are, how we live, um, you know, and what's going on in our life. And that's not what they want. They want what you and I both know is possible, but um, isn't isn't the practice or the rhythm in most Western churches. So. I want to dig in with you over time to um, what you really address in the novel. And again, it's a great novel. If you haven't read it yet and you want a summer read, well, first of all, it won't take you all summer. Um, you'll read through it pretty quickly. My husband has listened to the audio version of the book. It is excellent. Um, he's he's all on fire now. So the book is Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. Jeff, um, talk with us about the seven temptations like can you just frame them for us and then i really want to dig into just you know the first one today but maybe remind us what the seven are all right well i'll just zip i'll just zip through them quickly um the first one carmen we what i call is philosophicalism it speaks to and and interestingly um all seven of them are things we celebrate but they're actually things we shouldn't celebrate. <laughs> and um, and so this first one I call it philosophicalism. It's, it's a temptation towards a, a hypothetical faith. And, and in it, we would say sometimes like, you know, we're a Bible-believing people, things like that. But we can dig into that later, which really shows perhaps we're not. A second one is, um, is uh, professionalism, and that's a temptation towards excellence. We want to platform the best speaker, the best worship team. We think if we have that, um, we really have a really good Bible-believing solid church. And again, that that's a, a miss. Um, there's a, a third one I call presentationalism, and that's a temptation of a crowd. And that speaks to the body of Christ morphing primarily into a worship service that exists within the walls, as you just described earlier by that lady. And so um, that's something I think is at, at the core of who we are. And we, we, we talk about, we have an incredible pastor, great worship, you know, that kind of stuff as if it's something that really speaks to health in a church. And I, I think it, it doesn't. Uh, number four uh, is uh, passivism, and that's the temptation of comfort. We we really want the church to meet our personal needs. Our, our and my 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 kind of church. This is what I like a church to be. Da 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 da. And uh, and somehow we miss the mission of Christ and why why he set his church up in the first place. And so um, that's significant, I think. <laughs> The fifth one I I just call pragmatism, and and that's the temptation of competition. That's where we speak of, you know, how we're doing, our local brand advancement that we have, 
And that is more important to most of us in church than the greater kingdom revelation of Jesus Christ in our city. And um, and we'll even compete and, and even hurt one another in terms of congregation to congregation uh, in pragmatism. And, and I can't imagine when John, Jesus spoke in John 17 what Jesus thinks of us when we're in the midst of that rancor. Sixth is partisanism. This one gets touchy. It's this temptation of Caesar. And, um, and, and it speaks of uh, our earthly loyalties that are secondary. They should be secondary, but they become more important in many ways than our primary uh, kingdom allegiance. And so partisanism is something I think that's really hurting the, the testimony of Jesus Christ right now. And then lastly, I, it's the temptation of paternalism or the temptation of power. And um, and we in the Western cultural world have sort of superiority over the global church. We want to teach them how it's done and stuff. And actually, we need, we're need we in a season right now, it's obvious we're in a season right now, where we're not the teachers, we need to be the learners. Mm. And, um, and so all seven of those are, I think, si- playing a significant role to the fact that in all in wherever we go in the west every country in the west we're we're losing ground we're talking with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See and yes those of you who are asking yep it is available on Audible um it's actually available in lots of formats so it's a great read it's also a great listen um the discussion guide in the back is critical in terms of having conversations with others, um, not only about the book, but examining your own experience of um, Christian community today and and putting it up to the mirror of, of this conversation. So let's dive into philosophicalism. I mean, when we say we're a Bible-believing people, like, what's wrong with that, Jeff? We are a Bible-believing people. Isn't that a good thing? Well, um, I I would suggest we're not a Bible believing people, <laughs> and um, I, I'd suggest that by and large we pay intellectual assent theoretically to Scripture. But um, when you look at the word belief in in the New Testament, it doesn't show up as a noun. It doesn't show up as something we own. Um, like like what do you believe? And a lot of times some of us will will hand a, a pamphlet saying, well, here here's the theology I believe, and here are this, you know, the things. And um, but belief is never a noun in scripture. It's it's always a verb. It's not something we we own, it's something we do. Um, James speaks of this, you know, about f- faith and works, and he he suggests to us that we prove our faith by what we do. And um, and so when we see this, this first one, Carmen, is the mother of them all. <laughs> if you fix, sometimes you fix one thing, you fix everything. And mm-hmm. uh, and this this is one of those that is actually core to uh, to I think what's going what's going wrong with us right now in terms of our 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 ch- our church experience. So I heard um, I, and this, I heard this in seventh grade. And I don't know exactly why I remember that, <clears throat> but I can like see the room I was sitting in when a Sunday school teacher said, um, maybe we even wrote it on the board as I'm visualizing this, um, to believe means to live as if, to live as, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. took the word believe apart, like to be living in this way. To believe mm-hmm. is to be living in this way. Right. And um, right. 
And so when I think about my system of beliefs, I have to put a mirror of my own behavior up to that. And if what I say I believe is not then walked out in acts of real faith, I don't really believe it. And so there's a lot of folks like who are functional atheists. They might say they believe in God, but they do not live as if God really exists, is sovereign, has a will. Like, right? I mean, that's what we're getting at. When you say it's the mother of them all, like this is core. This this is core. When you when you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, he never once tells us what to believe, which is interesting because that's what we spend a lot of time doing. He spends all of his time saying, assuming belief and saying, here's what you do. You do this, you do this, you do this, you live like this, you live like this, you live like this. And um, and I think in the pendulum swing of grace and work, sometimes our grace pendulum swing swings all the way over as if um, um, works has nothing to do with it. Well, of course, works has nothing to do with purchasing our salvation, but works has everything to do with verifying our salvation. And um, and so it's it's not yeah it's it's an in, entirely different idea that is is not lost on the western i mean on the global church um i i can think carmen i one time i was with a, a pastor and uh he was a he spent most of his life in in he was from vietnam he lives in vietnam he ministered in vietnam um he spent most of his adult life in prison for his faith um he he was pastoring a network of twenty five thousand. Uh, not sorry, 2,500 um, cell groups that were in the most persecuted part of Vietnam. And um, and I was with him with four other pastors. And we were just, you know, I was trying to learn from them. And one of my, my, my fellow pastors who pastors a church, a large church, that I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm sure 95% of the people in his church were saved if we use that word before they came to his church they were you know they just because he was the 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 thing and um and he was very critical and he kept asking us a question about how this decentralized idea of a church can work and um and the the poor vietnamese pastor answered his question in his broken english um four or five times he kept pressing like i don't understand how you can ensure, ensure orthodoxy in such a decentralized idea and finally, the Vietnamese pastor, exasperated, says, look, um, this is what we do. We open our Bible. We read the verse. We do not read the next verse until we all do this verse. Mm. And I thought, okay, it's that simple, isn't it? Mm. We do not read the next verse until we do what this verse um, instructs us to do. This is mm-hmm. this is an obedience. This is a Bible obeying conversation. There's a difference between giving intellectual assent to something, Bible believing, uh, or claiming to believe it in that way, uh, intellectual assent, and Bible obeying. When we talk about obedience, um, if you're listening right now, you know we've been having the obedience conversation. Uh, Dave Buring talks about obedience being the engine of transformation. Uh, there's this process from revelation through the through obedience to transformation. Um, you're not going to experience transformation if you're not obedient to what God has revealed. These conversations are like you know everybody's uh, saying the same thing now. We're just saying it in in slightly different ways. So are you hearing it? And how are you hearing it? We'd love to 
hear your feedback and engage with you, you can text us 877-933-2484. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See. It's literally a novel approach. Uh, the Seven Temptations of the Western Church. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Jeff Christofferson. Uh, the book is Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is a novel. I highly recommend it. Um, we've been talking today about the first of the seven temptations, philosophicalism. Do you just give intellectual assent to um, a belief system that you call Christianity, or are you actually like on your knees and then on your feet obediently following in the way of Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus. Um, do you live what you say you, quote-unquote, believe? Is it an obedience-driven reality? Um, so uh, we've been talking about belief being a verb, not a noun. Jeff, maybe you could give us a real-world example um, of what you're talking about. I love the example of the Vietnamese pastor you know, we don't read the next verse until we have obediently done what what the verse we've just read says. Um, can you maybe give us a story to help flesh out what enacted faith looks like in the reality of the world today? Yeah, I mean, one of the things perhaps is um, is in the area of spiritual gifts. Let me. We, there's so many ways I can go. That was the first one that came to my mind. Um, so in our evangelical subculture in the last 30 years, 40 years, we made a sort of a big deal on spiritual gifts and, in, and it's kind of a cottage industry even. And, um, and so we, we, um, we take a test and we uh, answer a series of questions like in situation one, would I more likely A, B, or C? And I circle in C. And I do this 199 more times. And then uh, I press submit, and you know, lo and behold, I found out that I'm a, I have the spiritual gift of teaching, and um, and like, oh, that's too bad because I'm a teacher, and um, and I was hoping for something else, or I found out the spiritual gift of administration. Oh, it's too bad because I'm an accountant. I was hoping for something else, and um, and and what we have really done in that in that case is we we have taken our our comfort zone and we've spiritualized it and said you know this is this is a spiritual gift and uh, and you need to now sort of operate in your comfort zone in the area that you think that your um you know that 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 that, that is your gift and I think what we understand in Scripture is if we're obedient to our understanding of Scripture we understand that spiritual gifts are not 
um, something that we're innate. It's not something that we're born with. It's not something that's part of my personality. It's something, it's a gift that God gives us. And we experience these gifts in obedience. So when we sense, you know, those moments when you know that you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and saying, go take that walk over there and do that thing or say that thing or whatever it is. And um, and your heart is absolutely terrified because the meta narrative of scripture is weakness um, from beginning to end. The 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 major theme of of the kingdom of God is weakness. Even Jesus' illustrations of the kingdom of God is weakness, yeast and mustard seeds and small things. When we when we take that that step of faith and um and in our weakness way out of our comfort zone we we walk we see god do something and then we um go wow that was crazy and then we do it again and and again and we start to make correlations at that point saying you know what i discovered that my through obedience uh, my experience of god is not anything uh i mean the power that i get to experience in god is is related to my obedience to what the holy spirit is saying uh, i don't experience god's power through my strength i don't experience god's power through um my comfort zone i really experience god's power through my weakness and my uncomfortable uncomfortable space and um and so our we we've conditioned people you know okay believe these things okay they're easy because they stay between our ears and um and do these things oh well okay i can do them because i'm really good at them and we actually miss the 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 the, the incredible journey that God wants us to take with him in weakness. Yeah, if you're wondering why you're not experiencing God's power, it's possible that um you know, you've you've tested yourself into a place where you believe that the spiritual gift you have is actually just something you're already um educated and formed to do by the patterns of this world, not um what God has actually given you the gift of doing on his behalf, by his power alone, in the world that he so loves to advance the gospel in this generation. There's a huge difference, and that's what you're pointing out, and I appreciate that. Um, If you're listening right now, and you're saying to yourself, I wonder how I would, um, I wonder how I would begin to measure such a thing. Um, I wonder how, um, I wonder what a healthy body of Bible-believing and Bible-obeying people, I wonder what that would even look like. I wonder what it would look like in my own life. Um, Jeff, are there some, I don't know, benchmarks, pictures, ways of measuring what we're describing here, this sort of every day, every moment by moment, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, obedience to God? Um, I don't know of a tool or anything like that. But um, because it's not it's not as easily quantified, you can't put it on a list like our our systematic theologies that we kind of tend to subscribe to are actually a reaction 500 years ago to, you know, uh, in the Reformation to, you know, ways we're not Catholic. <laughs> and um, and so we we categorize those and we say, you know, how do you measure up on those on those areas as evangelicals? Mm-hmm. And um that's not what we're talking about. The uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I think is probably the best test. <laughs> or, am I on the altar as a living sacrifice? 
I don't care, you know, Pastor. I I really really worshipped this Sunday. I, it was incredible the music. I really worshipped. And then you leave as soon as the feeling's gone, and you're exactly the same. You probably really didn't worship. You probably had an, an emotional experience. You really really worshipped when you left that place and repatterned your life as on the altar. And um, and so it is. It be, it's a radicalization. I know a church in Berkeley, California. That every time I visit it, I go, am I even saved? <laughs> to see the level of um, obedience that, that this church is asking of, of their people. And um, it, it, it's such a difference. <laughs> uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, good test. Um, I think Ephesians 4 is a good test, particularly mm-hmm. when you talk about, like, can I even move to the next verse? Can I... <laughs> Right? Can I even move um, to the next verse? Um, I'm, you know, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, um, for we are all members of of one another. I mean, that's verse twenty five. You can't, like, if you you can't move to verse twenty six about don't don't let the sun, you know, go down on your anger and don't in your anger don't sin. Right. Um, right. You can't move to that if you're already not doing what verse 25 talks like if you're not already putting off falsehood if you're not already speaking truthfully to your neighbor and and living as a member of one body as you know as if this is a body like right so it i love the test of not moving to the next verse like that is a good test um particularly when particularly when we you know sort of enjoy reading large passages of scripture and then looking for the one thing that satisfies us. <laughs> and so um, I'm just so grateful and thankful for you and for your willingness to consider um, and then write about and then talk about these things um, so that we can be led to become genuinely faithful followers. I mean, I, I want to be a real Christian. I don't want to be a fake Christian. I want to be a genuine follower of Jesus. I don't want to, I do not want the day to arrive and him say, who are you? I, I didn't know you. Like, I don't want that. I want him to be like, oh, hey, um, thanks for, you know, thanks for cooperating with my Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, I, I, I see and love um, the ways in which you operated as my extension of grace into the world that I so love. Um, you know, welcome home. That's what I want to hear. Um, and so, um, yeah, so thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Um, and I look forward to our future conversations. Jeff, it's just a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. It's wonderful to be with you again. Jeff Christofferson, the book is Once You See Seven Temptations of the Western Church. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, I wish uh, I could drop in on you um, right now and what's going on um, in in your heart and in your home. Thank you so much for the privilege of this time together. Um, I love it, and I genuinely appreciate it. And so know that I'm praying for you today. I trust you're praying for me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace right now where you are. we got another hour together up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now.
And thanks.